Um, the first time he came, he ta- gave his testimony. Second time he came, he said, I'm just going to give you a little rundown of my testimony. And I think you continued talking about your testimony. So I'm kind of hoping that he would just keep sharing his testimony because it's encouraging. But I believe the Lord. <laughs> no, okay, that's all right, too. I want to hear him just speak. Um, but thank you, Bill. But uh, I'm I'm very excited. I just want to encourage you guys. This is going to be a um, Bill's great, and and what the Lord is doing in him and has done in him is is great. So Father, um, I thank you for Bill. I thank you for um, the great work that you've done in his life and and how you have um, worked through him and in him to to raise up a, a a man after your own heart, God, a man that loves you, who is passionate, who doesn't who doesn't hold back and isn't um, constrained by um, these things that would, that would keep him from being himself, God. He is a, he is bare before you. Um, he, we thank you that you lead him that way and that he follows you that way, God. And tonight, we ask that you would lead him that way again um, to speak with us, to encourage us to, to build up this body of believers, um, to prepare us for the destiny that you, you've given us, just as you've um, been fulfilling your destiny in him, just as you called him before the foundations of the earth. And, and then you went and got him, God. You went and got him. You pulled him out. Um, and you've saved him. You've put him on um, the rock. And now he's he's walking with you, Father. And we thank you that he walks in great intimacy with you. Um, and we look we look to you expectantly tonight, God, um, to do another great work through this man in our midst. Um, we look to you, Father, to do that. Uh, we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Hello. Jesus. <laughs> I have uh, my bride with me tonight. Uh, we just got married 41 years ago. <laughs> it seems like yesterday, I, I have to be honest with you. Uh, I, I've asked her at least five times on this trip, why did you say yes? <laughs> I mean, I was such a mess before I came to Christ, and and I guess the only reason she said yes is she saw some potential. And uh, four kids later, and eight grandchildren later, here I stand before you, 41 years walking with Jesus, and uh, loving every, loving almost every second of it. You'll get that in a minute, Darlene. Come and share. Darlene's going to share just a second, and uh, she's got 11 announcements. Nine? Okay. I'm kidding. It's great to be here. Um, Bill had asked me to share something, and also before I share it, uh, I have 24 CDs of Bill's testimony. How many people here have not heard his story? Okay. Well, I've got more in the car. And feel free to make copies. But th- those of you that don't know it, you know, he was, uh, I didn't meet him till he was saved. The only thing we have in common is he robbed banks, and I worked in a bank, and he never robbed the bank I've worked in. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> he was in prison four and a half years. He was a heroin addict. He was in a cell next to Charles Manson. And if God can save Bill Davis... He can save anybody. So if you know someone that's discouraged with one of their children or siblings that are, you know, make sure you come and get one of these. We have them free for you to take. Um, Hold it up. Okay. All right. Um, 
just two things he asked me if I would share tonight. Um, I love to pray with people. And about three or four years ago, God just really jerked the slack out of me. Has anybody ever had God just jerk the slack out of you? I had someone come to me, and uh, they wanted to counsel with me. They wanted to share everything that was going on in their life. And by the time they finished, I could hardly stand up straight. I mean, everything that could be going wrong was going wrong in this lady's life. And it was very discouraging. And I, I looked at her, and I said, all I can do is pray for you. And then we parted ways, and she went her way, and I'm walking. And all of a sudden, God said to me, what do you mean? You can only pray for her? When you're praying, you're speaking to the creator of the universe. And I am the only one who can speak into that situation, that I can deliver, I can bring love and healing and forgiveness. I'm the only one. I have, you know, I repented, and I have never, ever said that again (laughs) because prayer is powerful. I just want, if anybody here doesn't know how powerful prayer is, don't have to have God do what he did to me. And Bill wanted me to share a vision I had at a fellowship that we just started in Tampa. We had a beautiful worship service, and while we were worshiping, I saw um, God works with us with, with pictures, with visions. And I saw a package of microwave popcorn that had not been popped. And it was ripped open so I could see what was in it. And I saw the hard kernels and all of the seasoning, the salt and everything else that was in it that was dormant. And the Lord showed me that until the fire comes, you put that in the microwave and the fire hits it, it's not good for anything. But when the fire comes, and that's like in our lives, when the Holy Spirit comes and his fire We can't lay dormant anymore, and all that stuff he's put within us, all the salt that we are supposed to be, the flavor to the world, that's who we are. And the smell of popcorn is amazing. I mean, even if you're not hungry, if you smell popcorn, you want some. And so I just want you to know that God wants his fire in your life so that you can be tasty to the world, so that you can be salted and that they want what you've got. You're going to smell good. You're going to smell like Jesus, and you're going to act like Jesus. You're going to taste like Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Um, anybody here fish? Do you? Two uh, Minnesota fishermen. We're out on a lake fishing, and uh, a storm came up. You've had a lot of storms this year, so, but a storm came up, and it, they were out in the middle of Lake Malax, and it was blowing and 60-mile-an-hour winds, and, and their motor quit. And the one guy looked at the other guy, and he said, man, I've never been anything like this. This is rough. And he said, yeah. I've never been anything like this. He said, what do you think we should do? And he said, man, I don't know what to do. I mean, do you know what to do? And he said, no. He said, "Uh, maybe we ought to pray. The other guy looked at him and said, well, have you ever prayed? And he said, I've never prayed in my life. How about you? He said, me either. He said, but I used to live across the street from this church, and I'd hear them praying all the time. He said, well, quick, pray what they did. He said, all right, bow your head. 
He goes, B3, I19, N36. That's bingo. Wow, y'all are too young. <laughs> you got it? Tell me you got it. It's a dumb joke, but I liked it. If you have your Bibles, open with me to First Kings. First Kings chapter 1. Okay? What? What did I do? Oh, he just got it. See, now that's a popcorn joke. People will be laughing through the night going, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, bingo. I get it. I just want to share one, one verse here and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, I can't see the lights dim. I believe it's verse 5. It is. About that time, David's son, now let me just explain. That time was the last days of David the king. David was on his deathbed. He was dying. And he had already said to his leaders, to his son Solomon, you will be the next king. When I die, you will have a coronation to be the next king. So he'd already said that and made it just amongst his leaders. He hadn't announced it to Israel yet because he didn't want to discourage Israel that he was that sick. And uh, But about that time... David's son, Odonijah, whose mother was Hagith, began boasting, I will make myself king. Say that with me. I will make myself king. Now there was a problem. And as he was... Raising himself up. One translation says he was puffing himself up to be the next king. In other words, he was taking his self-centeredness, puffing it up to make himself more important than he was. Because David had not said Adonijah would be the king. He had said Solomon was to be the next king. But this young man according to Scripture, came later in David's life, and David, in his elderliness, did not correct this young man. He didn't speak correction into it. Now, I, I highly recommend you go and read this. Uh, read this whole thing. It's excellent. And But Odonijah called a whole bunch of people around himself and decided to throw a party, a coronation party, and he surrounded himself with people that were in agreement with him to be the king. One of them was Joab, which was the general of David's army. I mean, that's big time. But Joab went along with this rebellion. Now, what that says to me is Joab had some rebellion in his heart also. To be able to submit himself to a rebellious son and say, Yes, you're going to be the next king, and I'll serve under you. Absolutely setting aside. You see, Joab was one of the officials that knew Solomon was to be the next king. He was one of those officials. 
Now, I want to just tell you a story. As you can see, Odonijah was trying to usurp the authority that David had and that Solomon was going to have. I was invited to come to Holland, the Netherlands, and uh, I was asked to come and speak at the Ascensions Conference. And they have every five years, they have an Ascensions Conference in Holland. And they join together with about five or 6,000 people. And they, they have that holiday, that day off, recognizing the ascension of Jesus to the throne. Okay? Wonderful conference. And I was asked to be the keynote closing speaker for that conference. And it was quite an honor. And uh, I accepted it, and uh, about four months later, I was on the flight flying over from Tampa to Holland. And I'm sitting on the plane, and I was looking at my notes, and I had none. I had been so busy, I had not prepared for that closing keynote address. Now, if you've never been a public speaker, that might not affect you. But being a public speaker, having the (laughs) invitation to close a major conference is not easy. Especially if you have nothing. And I'm sitting on the plane, rolling over and over my mind, what in the world do I share? And I cried out to the Lord. You know, one of the prayers God loves... Do you know what it is? Help! (laughs) I sat on that plane and I cried, Help! Out loud. The person next to me thought I was nuts. (laughs) But I'm sitting there and I'm just quietly waiting to see if God will speak something to me. And what he said was, 1 Kings 1.5. That's what he said to me, 1 Kings 1.5. And I've read 1 Kings uh, quite a few times, but I didn't really remember that verse. And I opened it up, and of course, here's Odonijah, I will make myself king. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to say to me that I should say to the people at this Ascensions Conference? He said, challenge them as to whether they have set themselves on the throne of their life, Or they have allowed the king of kings to sit on the throne of their life. And you see, I believe that's a question that every one of us has to ask ourselves at one point in our life. Are we the ones ruling our lives or is the king the king? Now the story goes on that that this young man did not become the king. Solomon did. David did something completely unprecedented. He set Solomon in to be the king before he died and had his coronation before he died. And when those at the party, the coronation party for Adonijah, heard about it, the Scripture says they scattered for their lives. And Adonijah ran to the altar, grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, and he said, I'm not letting go until Solomon says he's not going to kill me. And just go read the story, but it's terrific. But here I am on my way to speak at this Ascensions Conference. I've got pretty much what the Holy Spirit's given me to share. 
I don't have the details yet. I've got like three days before I have to speak, so I knew I'd be able to glean some details. Although I didn't have an iPad, I didn't have a computer. I had to glean it out of scriptures, which is good. How many of you know sometimes you just need to put down your computer and your iPad and glean it for your own self? And and I did that, and I have the notes on my iPad. <laughs> but um, I got to the conference. They picked me up at the airport. They drove me to the conference site, which I was doing a workshop also during the day. And I already had the workshop set, but here I am contemplating this message. Is And what he, what he said to me, is Jesus really king? Say that with me. Is Jesus really king? And, and I'm rolling that over in my spirit, and I, I'll talk about it in a moment, but a little bit more about it. But here I am rolling that over in my heart. I walk into the conference, and they have this huge platform up at the front of the conference, uh, probably twice the size of North Heights Lutheran's platform. And across the platform, about a 60-foot banner says this, Jesus is König. Now, if you don't speak Dutch, you might not get that. Jesus is König. Does anybody know what it means? Jesus is King. Okay. I look at my notes. Is Jesus really King? <laughs> I kind of stood there and I looked up and I said, God, you set me up. And he had, he'd set me up. And as I studied this and began to think and contemplate about, is Jesus really king of our lives? I uh, got put together these notes that I have tonight, and I'm going to share a little bit of that with you. But I want to tell you what happened at the conference. I got up to speak on the closing night. I had an hour to share. The worship was fantastic that night, like it was here tonight. It was just beautiful. And uh, I got up to speak, and uh, something hit me. And I didn't know what it was at the moment, but I started feeling this rush through my physical system. And I had to say, God, settle that down, whatever that is. Settle it down. I don't want to come on with that kind of fierceness. And so I started preaching, somewhat like I'm doing tonight. Told a joke to start off with. They didn't get it either. <laughs> and and uh, so I, I'm starting to preach this message. And I said, I want you to look at that banner. And I want you to think of the title God's given me. Is Jesus really king? And how many of you in this audience at that conference have usurped the throne like Odonijah? and tried to take over your own life and make your own decisions and follow your own direction rather than bowing before the King of Kings and saying to Him, Jesus, You are my King. You are the King of my life. And I got through preaching it that night. Remember, there's 5,000, maybe 6,000 people there. I gave the invitation, much like I'm going to do this evening. And I challenged people to cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And people came streaming out of their seats. And by the time the altar was filled, there was about 100 people left in their seats. 
and the presence and the power and the majesty of King Jesus was in that room. And all day today I've been praying, God, show up with your majesty. Show up with your kingdom. Show up as king tonight. That we can see you with the eyes of our spirit and see how much of a king you really are. And that's what you want to bring us to, is to be the king. Well, I got through speaking. And remember that rush I was having? I got through speaking, and they're driving me back to my hotel. And it hit me in spades. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And I had never in my life experienced a panic attack until that night. I fully comprehend people that have panic attacks now. And I understand it because it hit me. I started hearing these voices say to me, you have single-handedly ruined the Dutch church. Are you with me? Single-handedly, you've ruined the Dutch church. They'll never invite you back again. They really hated that message. Did you see any of the leaders come forth? And it, these voices just kept rushing at me and rushing at me and rushing at me. And I know the voice of the Lord. It was not the voice of the Lord. But I couldn't fight it. I was panicking. And the voice said to me, go back and pack. They're coming to get you. <laughs> I went back and I started packing my suitcase and a knock came on my hotel door. I looked out through the peephole and there was the head of the Dutch church, Brother Van Amaram, my sponsor, Hank Van Veya, head of Teen Challenge, was my sponsor there. And standing next to them was this muscular looking guy bulging out of a t-shirt and I thought, well, he's the muscle to run me out to the airport. <laughs> Serious. So I, I opened the door. Brother Van Amram says, we would like to talk to you. I said, yeah, I know. I'm packing. He said, what? You're packing? Well, of course, you're going on to another speaking engagement. I had three weeks of speaking engagements. Almost every night. And... I said, well, you're not making me leave the country? No. They're looking at me like I'm out of my mind. Well, I was. And so all of a sudden, Brother Van Amram says, I want to introduce you to the head of the Dutch magazine that goes out to 15 million people. And he said, he's come to ask and get your permission to write the message that you preached at the conference verbatim and send it out to 15 million homes. <laughs> and I looked and I said, well, I thought you were the muscle. <laughs> they still didn't get it. So I signed the thing and gave him permission to print it verbatim. And, and Brother Van Amaram and the muscle left. And Hank, my sponsor, good friend of mine, looked at me and he said, what is wrong with you? 
I said, I don't know, but I've been having a panic attack since the conference. And I said, I know it's a panic attack because it has, you know, sense of grandeur in it and fear and you name it. And I'm having it. And he said, well, okay, you get ready. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to take you to a doctor. I said, well, cool. Pray for me first. And he did. So he takes me to see one of the board members of Teen Challenge who was a doctor. And we walk up to his door, and on the door plaque, psychiatrist. <laughs> and I'm still having a panic attack, and I figure they're going to put me in a mental institution. And I walked in, I sat down, he said, describe your symptoms. And I described my symptoms. He said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. I said, what's that? He said, your gland that produces adrenaline, is inflamed. And he reached up and he felt it and he said, yeah, it's, it's swollen and it's pouring adrenaline into your system. And he said, that's why. And he said, here, do this diet over the next three days and it'll go away and it went away. And I finished my speaking engagements. And, and I, I want to say to you, though, Jesus is king and when I said that, that's when that sickness came at me. Because the moment you make a decision to declare Jesus as king of your whole life, every part of you, that's when you're going to come under severe attack. Because you, under the authority of Jesus, moving in His power and authority are a danger to the domain of darkness. And when you move under the authority of King Jesus, and, and let me say to you, you could never find a better king. You couldn't. And our problem in America is we do not understand kingdom. We understand democracy. We understand voting people into a place of authority. But we don't understand the reality of the kingdom of God. And you see, Jesus came preaching two gospels. He preached the gospel, the good news of salvation. And he preached the gospel of the kingdom. If you remember, when John the Baptist was imprisoned, and he was asking, are you really the one? Are you truly the Messiah? And he sent one of his compadres to ask Jesus, Are you truly the one? And he says, Back to the man, deliver this message to John the Baptist. Tell him the kingdom of God is being preached. The sick are being healed. The lepers are being cleansed. The dead are being raised. And the blind eyes are opened. He said, that's the results of the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I like those results. Not because it makes me look good, because it makes Jesus look good. When that manifestation of the kingdom of God begins to work in us and through us, it can only fully work in us when we have taken the crown of our own life off our head and cast it at the feet of Jesus. If you remember in the book of Revelation, 
there were 24 elders. It was spoken about the 24 elders seven different times. And the last thing that was said about the 24 elders was that they took their golden crowns I'm not having a panic attack. (laughs) They took their golden crowns off their head and they cast them at the feet of Jesus. You remember that? That is the example of having power and authority and yielding it into the hands of the king. I believe God today, in this hour, in the United States, wants us to get a kingdom mentality, a kingdom way of thinking, a way of thinking that's so foreign to our American culture. In our, in our American culture, we have uh, at the head of our government a president. My Bible says Jesus carries all government on his shoulders. So no government, not and including our type of government, has not come from man's way. It has come from the king. And when we begin to allow the king to rule in the direction of our life, in the revelation of himself into our lives, in when we're ministering to others, that we're ministering not from our own strengths and our own abilities, but we're ministering from His power and His authority, lives are changed. And I've seen the difference in my 41 years. I've seen where man has come along with his slickness and his showmanship and charisma and self-strength, and built many kingdoms, M-I-N-I, many kingdoms around themselves. You know that's happened. You know that's been part of our culture. And for years I wondered, how can our culture accept that kind of smarminess and ungodly slickness in our leadership? When the truth is, the true leaders of Jesus are the ones that have taken, yes, the crowns that they have earned and cast them at the feet of Jesus and said to Jesus, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. And, and honestly, there's an old saying, Corey Ten Boom said it, God's not looking for your ability He's looking for your availability. Because God may want to use you in areas of your life and in areas of other people's lives that doesn't even compute in your thinking. God may want to send you to a foreign land that you've never even thought about. I I was at a conference here in Minnesota, and this young man got up, to share and he came back and sat down and another young man got up and started talking about New Guinea and I heard this young man lean over to an older brother and he said uh, man I don't ever want to go to New Guinea the way this guy's describing it forget it I'm not going 
And I leaned over to the brother sitting next to me, and I said, I just wonder when he's going to New Guinea. For I, I knew this guy, and I knew he was a precious brother, and that he was not full of himself. He was just making a stupid statement. Anybody ever made a stupid statement? Oh, yeah, I'm talking to that. None of them in the back, but all of us have. I mean, if you've ever said, and you probably said it in King James, Oh, God, anything thou wantest of me. Come on. Got all religious and, oh, God. God has that recorded. And He had that recorded before you made your stupid statements. <laughs> One year to the day after being in that conference, I got a fundraising letter from this young man. I opened it up. Dear Bill, my wife and I are moving to Papua New Guinea. And we're raising funds to go to work with Wycliffe <laughs> in the jungles. <laughs> I didn't want to call him and say, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. <laughs> but I wanted to say to him, I bet you've stopped making statements like, I'm not going somewhere. Now listen, if Jesus really is king, if he really is, then he has authority by your hand to say to you, do this and do that. That's who he is. And you see, if you know Jesus as the king... You, you might know him as Savior, but if you know him as the king, you know he's a righteous king. You know he's a mighty king. You know he's a good king. And he's not going to put on you anything you cannot handle. He's not going to say to you, do this and do that, unless he gives you the grace to do it. He'll give you the strength to be able to accomplish that. He'll never force you to do it, but He'll lay it out before you. And if you have said to Him, Jesus, You're my King, then I'm telling you, where you will go, you'll either be effective or martyred. Or both. You say, well, wait a minute. I, I, I didn't buy into this Christian thing to get martyred. Yeah, I know. God is really tricky. You bought into the kingdom thinking, man, God's going to give me a great job and a good-looking husband and a beautiful wife, and He's going to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Then one day He's going to say, okay, how about we go out and give our life up? For the kingdom of God. You say, but Bill, I'm so young. I'm not saying you're going tomorrow. But if you've ever declared Jesus to be your king, 
You have to be ready to go and do whatever he wants done. You try telling Chinese Christians and the underground church that the kingdom of God is all about filling your pockets with money and having a wonderful job and a beautiful family. And they'll look at you like you're out of your mind. You see, that's American Christianity. Fill my pockets. Give me, give me, give me. When the real kingdom is all about bowing before the king and saying to him, not my will, but yours be done. And you have the great example of that in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He did not want to do that in his natural man. But he said something awesome to his heavenly Father. I don't want to do this, but nevertheless, not what I want, not what is my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, and thank God he did, or you could not know the kingdom today. You would never know Jesus as king. You would live in an eternity of non-existence. But because Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again and, listen, ascended to the right hand of the Father where He crowned Him, King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn with me to Revelation and I'll close with this. The book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11. Verse 11. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. After that, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse appeared. The one who was riding it is called faithful, trustworthy, loyal, incorruptible, steady, and true. And he passes judgment and wages war in righteousness. Holiness, justice, and uprightness. His eyes blaze like a flame of fire, and on his head are many kingly crowns, diadems. And he has a title, a name inscribed, which he alone knows or can understand. Man. He is dressed in a robe dyed by dripping in blood. And the title by which he is called is the Word of God. And the troops of heaven, clothed in fine linen, dazzling and clean, followed him on white horses. For from his mouth goes a sharp sword, with which he can smite, afflict, and strike the nations. And he will shepherd and control them with a staff, a scepter, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath and indignation of God and the all ruler, the almighty, the impotent, omnipotent. And on his garment and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
I want to go back just to one verse. It said, on his head are many crowns. Many crowns. Where did he get all those crowns? Now, he was crowned one time by the Father as king. One crown. Why does Revelation and John say in his revelation that he had on his head many crowns? He saw Jesus with a myriad of crowns. The word many there means uncountable. On his head were crowns beyond measure. Where did he get those crowns? Point to the person next to you and say, from you. From me. On his head were many crowns. And you see, I think in my understanding that there comes a point in our life, the better that it be sooner in our walk with God than later. Because the crown weighs heavy on the head of the unrighteous. When we take it off and throw it at His feet, that's when He takes His place as King of Kings. And Psalm 24 says this, Who is this King of glory? Open up, you gates, you ancient doors. Who is this King of glory? And the Scripture says He's the Lord, strong and mighty. Open up, you ancient gates. Open up, you mighty doors. And let the King of glory come in. And I think what we need to do is open up our ancient doors and our gates and let the King come in and be the King. And if you're willing to cast your crown tonight at the feet of Jesus, I want you to stand. Wow. Look around at how many people are going to cast their crown at the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't want you to cast them at my feet. I'm not the king. I'm just a servant. Okay? I want you tonight to be willing to take that crown off your head and cast it at the feet of Jesus. Because when you do, something's going to happen in the heavenlies and in your heart. There's going to be a rejoicing in the heavenlies because the angelic host and those who have gone before you have been waiting for this moment for you to cast your crown at the feet of Jesus. Are you ready? Reach up to your head with both hands. Okay? Lift that crown off your head. Hold it out like this and cast it at his feet. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you don't have to do it again unless you pick it up and put it back on. When he asks you to do something impossible now, 
he'll give you the grace to accomplish it. Because he knows he's got your crown. And he's the authority. Father, I thank you that tonight the truth is, God, that you are the king. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, he said, Are you king of the Jews? And he said, His man told you this. And he said, No, the Jews have said this about you. And Jesus said something profound. For this purpose was I brought to this earth to be the king. Not only of the Jew, but of the Gentile also. That's us. Thank you, Jesus. Say thank you, Jesus. On his head is many crowns. He's got about 130 crowns here tonight. How cool is that? Give him a hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'm going to stay if anybody needs prayer tonight, uh, especially if you're sick. Uh, I, I have been really sensing a strong anointing to pray for the sick all day long. And if you're here tonight and you've got something wrong with you and you know you've got a, a sickness in your body and you want to be healed, I want you to come. And, and anytime I talk about me being sick, that's when I really want to pray for the sick. Amen? Because that just flies in the face of the evil one. And I like doing that under his authority. Amen? Amen. Just be seated for a moment. All right. If you're sick and you want to be prayed for, I want you to come up here. Now, Darlene's got some CDs. If you want a CD, come see Darlene. She's the good-looking chick in the green pants. All right. But if you're sick, come up here. I want to pray for you. Come on. And there's other people that want prayer. If you want prayer, you want the blessing... I believe in the blessing. And some of us cannot get the blessing from our natural families. So we need fathers in the Lord to pour out that blessing into us. And if you need that blessing, I want you to come tonight. I want to be a, a dad and give you that blessing that you may not be able to get from your family. Okay? People coming from the back. Way cool. How many of you rejoice in the fact that there's air conditioning and fans? Isn't that God? <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to start praying. Darlene, can you come and pray with me?